there's just this understanding that I think is totally mis misleading and it's frankly unfounded that an expansion team has to struggle in its first year. Like why? Because mm-hmm. they're new. At the end of the day, there's 11 guys on one side of the field. There's 11 on the other. And no matter how new a group of players is to each other, everyone has been playing the sport for a very long time or else they wouldn't be a professional. And if you have the right combination of personalities, you have the right type of coach that knows how to manage the team and get the most out of the team, and you have good leadership at the player level and obviously enough quality in the group, there's no reason that you can, can't consistently be competitive and to have a winning record in MLS. I think that we could really, 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 you know, if the, if the season would have been normal, I think that we would have been a playoff team. Love that, man. Love that energy. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram at Footy Fellas Pod, F O O T Y Fellas Pod on Instagram. We have a very interesting chat for you in this episode with Dan Lovett. Nashville SC and U.S. Men's National Team left back. We chatted about his expectations for the team and conditions surrounding the MLS's back tournament, which is coming back in July, flipping the mental switch in playing for both club and country, and misconceptions around a new expansion side in Nashville. We really enjoyed the discussion, and you will too, so get excited for that. You guys, you guys hear that? Oh, yep. It's uh, just some Liverpool fans going wild at Anfield. That's what it sounds like to me. It's the sound of Liverpool winning the Premier League and Icy's excitement jumping out of his mic. So hyped. What a great game. The Chelsea-Man City game. You know, I don't think it was how Liverpool fans envisioned. Obviously the game, the moment, and COVID. However, 30-year drought over. It's wonderful. I can't wait for John Oliver to have a last week tonight episode dedicated to this Liverpool win. He is a, a lifelong fan. Can't say that about myself, but um, should be fun. People are excited. People are pumped. Max Jones is probably the most excited non-Liverpool fan that I've I know. I mean, we can we can move on to other topics. We don't have to stay here. I I uh, I love the um, and I wish I could appreciate it more. Um, but you know, the clips of the Liverpool players like in the room celebrating and, and Klopp dancing and having you know just a good fun old time. It, it like I don't get any emotion from it other than like okay, fine, <laughs> but. Uh, I do think like when the Bears would win a game and they have like club dub and they're all jumping around in the locker room, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I love that. So I, I, I imagine you Liverpool fans are are feeling great, as you should. Um, whatever. Wow, club dub. I've never heard of that, but that is awesome and we should bring that back. <laughs> we need to get, make, put, bring that back to glory. Club dub. 
Wow. Yeah. We just well, we need we need football to come back. We need American football back, and we can. Did, was that out. even a, a podcast name consideration that we club discussed? Club. No, we missed that one. That that one flew under the radar. Ah, dang. Maybe we'll have to after our soccer skills camp, which all your listeners should tune into. Maybe we'll have a club dub series. There we go. That you we could do a we could do um an episode of summer camp on on how to celebrate like proper Ooh. celebrations and like bad celebrations. It's actually a great idea. It's a great idea. We talked last episode too about Klopp being kind of the grandpa figure in that context at least, yes. but it, it's fun seeing him. He, he's kind of playing the same role in being the emotional and, and heartwarming coach who just more than anything, his vibe is just like proud of the players and like love my family. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. those are all his interviews. He's just like lightly emotional and just happy. He just seems really happy. Yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a good coach it's so tough for me like i've i've still yet to i can't get beyond the fact that he's a liverpool coach and i don't i just don't listen to, i don't i don't actually try to hear him out and hear what's going on <laughs> i just like nope i got to avoid this doesn't make any sense so why would i care about it but are you, everything are you, about him has been hype are you stuck with him at dortmund is that how you yeah as, as far as i'm concerned i don't know who liverpool's coach is right now you know <laughs> Klopp, you know at dortmund unbelievable unbelievable coach Great hype. I love the, as an aside, I love the memes going around about, you know, how Klopp had, you know, sold Pulisic saying, you know, you know, you're going to, this is for the better, you know, this, this is going to help the team out. You know, the team will win with you, you know, doing that, like everyone's going to win here. And then four years later, Pulisic scores the, you know, came oh, wow. right, right. Scores the goal. Gets him going. Well, I think we can all rejoice together that City did not win again. It's good. It's nice to see City players disappointed after <laughs> after losing and realizing that their title hopes are have come to an end. It felt good personally to see that. I I agree. I, I feel it's a little. I'm I'm almost starting to um, pity or question. I'm not, I'm not really sure what it is, but when I look at the City team, it's a stacked team clearly that should be winning games. But um, you know. To, to not win the season this year feels a little harsh. It feels, it feels tough. Um, and if they don't win champions league again, it, it, I, I, I start to get exhausted for pep. I start to think, you know, coach for the man, man city, I start to get a little tired thinking you've had such a dominant team for like the past two to three years. And yet you really aren't getting past the, the hurdle you need to, or being nearly as dominant as you, as you should be. Um, it's a poor time to have a team like Liverpool pop up. I actually took a trip to Liverpool a couple of years back with one of my buddies and we stayed there for one night. That's probably the most exciting and crazy piece of the whole trip was where we stayed. So I can get to that in a second. But Liverpool is a place for a tourist visiting. It's not extremely special. And I think everyone that lives there would agree and and say that's what what brings the vibe together for both Liverpool and Everton who are in Liverpool. The people there are very, you know, it's very much like a workers town, people working by the docks and frequenting the bars there and kind of having community places to to gather, but it's not a glamorous place at all. And I think that also galvanizes the supporters and brings them together so strongly around the team is that that is far and away, just like many other places in England, but in Liverpool, especially there's not people that are fans of any other teams, obviously. And then there's also just not fans 
of anything else to do because there's nothing else to do. We did the, we did all of Liverpool in a day and it was, you know, seeing the Beatles museums, the, the tour and anything else to see there. We went to the, uh, basement that the Beatles got their start in. And my buddy who actually plays drums got a chance to play drums there with the band that was playing that night, which was super cool. Wow. Uh, Cavern club called the Cavern club where the Beatles got their start. And then the hostel we stayed at was probably the most scarring night of my life <laughs> because it was this hostel first red flag, $10 a night, first mm. red flag. Don't stay anywhere. That's under $20 a night. Mm. And we were only there for one night. We figured whatever, because the next day we were going to an Everton Everton match at Goodison. So we are like, fuck, we just need a place to crash. But this wasn't a hostel for students traveling. This was a hostel for people that have like fallen on hard times. Oh, man. And the people sleeping on either sides of us, there was just like medicine on the table in the middle of this communal room and empty pizza boxes. And the middle of the night, the, the highlight of the whole night was the person sleeping on the bunk underneath me, who was not my friend was screaming in their sleep and shouting and shrieking kind of crazy things oh, no. saying oh, like the God. devil compels me and like we're gonna make it out <laughs> and and saying that stuff out loud and then at like four or five a.m i'm up from three to seven i'm up <laughs> i'm up for sure if you can tell already and for, during that time he's kicking my bed so i'm sitting there and my <laughs> lying down and my like behind is getting thrown upward and i'm kind of bouncing up and down because this this person is like kicking their bed and i'm texting my friend i'm like do you see this do you hear this and he's like he's like yeah i'm up i'm up and right at 6 30 we're like all right we can't do this anymore so we grabbed our stuff and ran out of there we get downstairs long story but it's about to end we get downstairs as we're leaving trying to look who we need to check out with you know we need the key to our locker or something like that and it's a scene from a scary movie. It's this small kitchen. There's a cereal box uh, sitting on the table and two people sitting there, another person sitting in a chair holding a newspaper. And one of them looks up like you would in a movie. One of them looks up and goes, you're trying to check out with this really sad look on their face. <laughs> and someone else offers us the cereal and we left. I forget what we needed, but we left it there. We were like, we're, we're out of here. Thank oh you. And the game was great. The Everton game was great. We took the train back to London. and <laughs> Could you stay awake for that game? Wild experience. Yeah, the energy was awesome. Energy yes. was awesome. But anyways, Liverpool is a place. That's my experience with it. <laughs> and aside from the hostel, everything else contributes to what makes Liverpool fans, collectively, Liverpool fans. Wow. Wild just story. Just, just a, a short aside. Just a little eerie. <laughs> I feel like we could, we, could all, we could do a little segment about all our... Uh, Terrible overnights while traveling, and we'd have, we'd have all, a little they're all uh, we could spend an hour on hostels, it's like <laughs> Just I, hostel I, recommendations. Ho hostel hostels are hostile. Yeah. Um, end of the day, I will say, as a United fan, respect, awesome, they deserve it. Like clearly, the best team, the most dominant team. Um, and I'm I'm eager. I'm eager for for next season. I'm eager to see if they can do it again. I think that'd be really, really impressive if they just are able to do this year in and year out because it's impressive top to bottom. Yeah. What else happened this week? You may be thinking as a listener, going to quickly run through last week today, storylines from the last week before we get closer to the interview with Dan. Liverpool won the Premier League. That's first. We already chatted about that. Secondly, in the FA Cup, we had Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, and either Man City or Newcastle 
advancing to the semifinals. That game's going on right now. Each of those teams, Man U, Arsenal, and Chelsea, had quarterfinal victories earlier this weekend. Third, the NWSL Challenge Cup. So the female professional league in the U.S., the NWSL, kicked off their tournament this year. They were the first professional sport back in the U.S. That kicked off on June 27th in Utah. And on the first day, the NC Courage bested the Portland Thorns 2-1 to with a goal late in the 94th minute. And the Washington Spirit were victorious over the Chicago Red Stars 2-1. to So hopefully we can include some good content there and might be chatting on another pot or two to, to throw our input in the mix regarding the NWSL. Lastly, we come to the MLS where a CBA deal was reached June 10th, so a little over a week ago but just wanted to touch on it since it's part of the Dan interview and he also touches on it. This CBA deal made the MLS's back tournament possible. So we, we riffed on the MLS's back tournament a couple of episodes ago. The deal allowed for the tournament to take place with a 7.5% pay cut for players beginning on the pay period starting May 31st. That was the first stipulation. Secondly, players got some additional concessions on previously agreed upon TV deals. So the original CBA deal that was agreed upon earlier this year, back in January or February, they actually gained a larger percentage of the pie in 2023 and 2024 in the the longer term. And they also got rid of a previous attendance clause in in the agreement back in February that said if next season, if five teams see a drop in attendance by 25% or more, they get a smaller share of the revenue with the league. So... Ultimately, the players gain some pieces given the current situation, and the league is also happy about the tournament moving forward, which will bring revenue and fan engagement back. So good background for us, good background for the chat with Dan. Any thoughts on the CBA deal or what it means to players, fans, the league? I think personally, um, I really don't pay much attention to any CBAs or uh, for those listening, closed clo- uh what was that? Collective bargaining Collective agreement. agreement. Thank you. I was closed. Um, you know, to really understand how CBAs work requires you to really appreciate the player's perspective and what they bring to the table. Um, a lot of what we see as fans is strictly the jerseys and uh, the performance on the pitch, but we don't understand that they have livelihoods too that they need to maintain. And it's not just a base salary. Um, there are other things that are included there. And when we look at a league like the MLS or NWSL leagues that aren't the highest of profile in the world. A lot of their contracts are smaller and require um, more significant bargaining um, for, for the better good of uh, betterment of all of the, the players. So for me, it's just been a learning process the past couple of weeks starting to um, take on that, that type of information and, and understand the politics going on behind the scenes that we don't normally see. I just would like to add, um, that I think most of the leagues, you know, the NBA, MLB, all those, all the leagues have discussions amongst the player unions and then the, the official league. Um, and I believe those are all CBA negotiations as well. Um, so not necessarily unique to the MLS, but, you know, we're now seeing it come to light, especially in the, in the presence of this pandemic. And right, like you said, Jones, it is interesting. You don't hear about it very much, but it's obviously front and center now. Um, and yeah, front news because, you know, they have to figure out what the schedule is going to be like, how pay and everything is going to be structured. And, and it is interesting, um, 
the politics and hearing from player perspective. Can you hear more from Dan and a lot of other topics that were super interesting and new to us getting that unique player perspective, both from the club level and playing for the U.S. men's national team. Quickly going to head to our first sponsor, Reed. Thank our sponsors. And we'll be back after with the Dan interview. Have you ever locked your keys in your car? Have you ever gone on an errand and forgot your wallet? Have you ever stubbed your toe on an inanimate object and wanted to smash the object to pieces? Well, that was dumb. You might not be dumb, but your actions were dumb. Drink dumb water to add salt to your emotional wounds. Dumb water is a product of Beavis and Butthead, LLC. Dumb water is taken directly from the Atlantic Ocean and is never filtered. When you do something dumb, drink dumb water. It tastes terrible to further ruin your day. Yeah, I'm going to just take a swig of my dumb water right here after that one. <laughs> Sounds necessary. Yeah, the, the branding the branding is a little uh, you know, questionable, but I think it stands out. You definitely hear it and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm buying that. Or at least question it. You hear it, question, even you if you're not going to buy it, you think about it, yeah. which is what ad, advertising is all about. Brilliant. Stands out. Any news is good news. Oh, yeah, it's real salty. <laughs> <laughs> you were swigging that whole time? Oh, my God. It's, it's just salt water. It's just straight up salt water. It's not even... It's uh, it tastes like the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> That's other water companies. Are, all their ads are showing fresh springs and right. you know the freshest of water. They're just, they have just pots and pans right into the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they'll at least they're telling you up straight up they're, they're cutting out the middleman like they're saving that's that's where they're making their money they're not even distilling it they're not processing it they're they're literally it's it's a mom and pop shop they're scooping it with a with a pot and pan pouring it into a bottle sealing the bottle up and sending it to icy their only customer so far <laughs> yeah i'm one of their big distributors so <laughs> <laughs> should mention you are a distributor you are Icy, is it true you're also invested in this company heavily heavily yep. yeah um, my whole life savings. Footy Fellows is proud to welcome Dan Lovitz, current left back on the newly minted MLS expansion club Nashville SC. On paper, he's put together a remarkable career thus far. At Elon University in North Carolina, I can confirm it is a gorgeous campus. I toured when, once, once upon a time. He helped lead the team to three conference championships and was named Southern Conference Player of the Year. He was then drafted in the second round by Toronto FC, where he played for two years before hopping over to Montreal, where he hit his stride, playing in 84 games over three years, cementing himself as a stalwart component of the back line and earning the first of 13 caps for the U.S. men's national team. A proven leader in the league, he's now taken his trade to the newfound Nashville SC, where he'll be eager to announce their arrival at the MLS's back tournament starting in July. Dan, however is more than just a Wikipedia page. When he's not playing, he's learning guitar, crunching into an online business degree, and has a deep passion for Philly sports. At the end, we'll gauge just how much of a quote-unquote fanatic Dan really is. But first, we want to say welcome and simply ask, how you doing, man? Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me and taking the time. Um, very happy to be here. I'm doing well. Obviously, happy to have some sort of a path back to normalcy in the form of uh, soccer. But as for normal life, I think everyone is still crawling back to what they hope will end up being where we left off before all this craziness started. So happy to hop on here with you guys. Uh, it's my pleasure to say the least and looking forward to it. 
Awesome, dude. I mean, I feel like the transition from the COVID world into an idea of a new normal is is definitely a um, a, a, a long and arduous one. But but there is a light at the end of the the, the tunnel, and that that is the MLS's back cup. Are you are you excited for it? Like, how do you feel about the the format that exists, the the idea to get out, out there again, and and how do you feel about the group you're playing in? Well, I think you know for a long time the at least from my end of it we were approaching the process of wrapping our heads around this tournament in um it was sort of encompassed in this bigger picture of a CBA ratification and uh ongoing negotiation with the league regarding pay cuts and all these different things that we needed to fold into a, a bigger deal and Orlando was just sort of a concept that the league was clearly adamant about and we had a lot of pushback from the players, obviously, as it pertained to logistics and all that stuff. But my gut from um, pretty early in the process was uh, I, I had a hard time understanding why a lot of guys that get paid to play soccer were so pissy about going to do that. Um, I understand the the safety, the logistics, all that was up in the air and we didn't have the details ironed out. But um, I just I was surprised there were a lot of people that weren't really pumped to get down there and play. And for me. Um, it's so strange to think you only get a finite amount of time to play soccer professionally. And some guys just get drafted and don't get signed. And then that's kind of it. Other guys play for a few years, um, kind of fizzle out, whatever it may be. And so as long as you're in it, I think you should be chomping at the bit to get out there and to, you know, one, earn your money and two, express yourself and enjoy the sport, um, compete at the highest level. I think that's what it's all about. Frankly, they're just flying by the seat of their pants here, and they're trying to put something together that is going to get fans um, excited. And to be fair, the the soccer fans in the U.S. are still growing in knowledge, um, in numbers. And for them to title this or to style it in a World Cup format and then to break it up into conferences just didn't seem to make a ton of sense for Marin. But um, we're very happy with how the groups played out. Um I understand that we are going to be in the Eastern Conference for this tournament and indefinitely for the remainder of 2020, which is going to be pretty cool. Um, Would have been cooler being from Philadelphia to know that I'd have a little bit more East Coast travel if things were normal. But um, I think from a competition standpoint, I think for a while the West has been typically at a higher level. Um, We knew that travel was going to be daunting going into it. it being this year. And now that we are just focused on a tournament, we get played it or slated against a lot of teams that are um, either rebuilding or trying to essentially accomplish the same thing that we are and promoting and elevating themselves to the upper echelon of MLS teams that are consistently competitive at the high level, be it the, the New York Red Bulls, Sporting Kansas City, Seattle, Toronto, Um, we don't have any of those in our group. I think we have a lot of exciting teams that all bring something different to the table, but, um, I think it's about as wide open as any of the other groups that I've seen. So obviously we're pumped to get down there and to get started and, you know, to, to have it wide open, so to speak. Dan, uh, I should remind you, I am from Chicago, so I'm not really sure what you're saying about the Chicago fire, um, directly or or, or indirectly, but they don't have any problems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, is it not a, a, are you not concerned about 
your own allegiance to playing the union while you're also on Nashville? Is there, is there no conflict of interest there? There's very little conflict of interest. Um, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have any allegiances. I appreciate that in the off season, I'm able to, you know, rub shoulders with a lot of those guys and make use of their facilities more than anything. And I know a lot of guys that have transitioned into coaching careers that are now in the Academy and a lot of great people, but, um, I'm, I'm very happy to compete against them and to win. Um, so I'm very, very much looking forward to that. You had some really good points there. I'm curious when you had, when you were talking about the MLS's bad cup or the tournament format being a World Cup style, and you had mentioned that maybe a lot of a lot of the players were a little confused or uh, about the format or maybe not not all the way behind it. Do you think that the league did a a a, a fair job of putting fan interest alongside player interest? Great question. I think the easy answer is that they didn't really attempt to balance it much. Um, they played catch up and they did damage control at the end of the process when they knew that they were trying to play hardball with us as it pertained to other issues that were on the back burner um, in terms of the greater, bigger picture deal that was going on. But you know, exhibit A or, you know, plan A and route one for them is to to make money from this. This isn't mm-hmm. um, anything where they're really making sure that the players are well looked after. Um, of course, they have to tick that box. And I think they've done a very good job. I think that they've actually given a lot of consideration. They've hired epidemiologists. They've gotten important feedback and integrated important people. Um, that know what they're talking about into the process. So it's good to have that piece settled and I'll never fully, you know, be okay with guys saying that, Oh, they don't care about the players there because the the health and the safety is something that they really had to look at. And this wouldn't be happening if those bases weren't really covered. So I think it's been in the end, well-balanced or as well-balanced as we could hope for as players. Um, Again, we don't really know what to expect. We don't know. I mean, I was talking to our equipment manager and there's been zero feedback about where we're going to do laundry. And that's frustrating knowing that the NBA already has these tide trucks that are going to be stationed at all these resorts. And we aren't really even going to be given access to the the hotel's stuff. So little things like that kind of highlight the one, the discrepancy between the operation as a whole compared to us in the NBA, but just the the little things that most people don't think about when are training times, um, because only, I think, one field is going to be allocated to three teams per day, and they have to decide when the training will be. And I don't know all the details, but it's just a lot of hurdles that need to be crossed off, and it's just going to be a nightmare. Um no two ways about it. But at the end of the day, you you have your games, you know, when those are set, you got to do whatever you can to be ready for that. And a big part of that is making sure everyone stays healthy. I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, I guess I'm on the inside, so I see it pretty quickly, but all the teams that are, you know, now starting to contract, at least players are starting to contract COVID. They have to digress in their progression of training and everyone's pretty much training as a team, but if you have a certain amount of players that contract the virus, you then have to go back to individual training for a few days and quarantine that player. And it's a mess. And it's, it's tough to manage that going forward. 
Um, I think that's frustrating for a lot of clubs, but I think it comes down to the player, obviously, and being responsible and finding the right way to to be happy in your life without, you know, going to the club without a mask or whatever it may be, whatever these guys are doing. The end all be all, I think this is never going to be perfect. We all know that the league wants to make money from it. That's pretty straightforward. And we're happy that we're going to be able to help them and that that allowed us to take a smaller wage cut and ratify CBA, which I think we're the big fish in this particular situation and outcome. So we got to go down there. We got to do it. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be weird, but it's never been done before. And I, th- I think we'll all survive. Yeah, absolutely. Hear you on a lot of those concerns and even the discrepancy piece. You know, we see it from our angle of just following the news, but it's definitely different for you being a part of the team, being a part of the conversations, not just getting the news on even the small things, the training pitches that kind of takes you back to like, you know, tournaments way back when, when everyone's sharing the field and games are going on and it just feels very hectic and crazy. So obviously yeah, you'll figure it out. We have faith, but a lot going on, pretty crazy scenes down there aside from what we're just seeing on the, on the television. Yeah. We're going to move a little bit into how you're approaching the team in Nashville and just picking your brain on that and contributions to the national team. Before we get into that a little bit, we'd love to hear about kind of how you got here. So we, in the intro, Jones breezed through your time in Toronto and Montreal. Would you mind just unpacking quickly what transpired post-draft and how you actually wound up in Nashville on this expansion team? Yeah, I'll give you the abbreviated version. Um, great. The spark notes version, but I uh, got drafted. I was a second round guy. didn't expect to get drafted at all. I didn't go to the combine. I got knee surgery instead. And um, For those guys, you just got to, if you're not a first round guy, you don't really know if you're going to get a contract because I think that's a big flaw in the process communication wise. I don't think guys understand that you don't get a contract when you get drafted. You just get drafted. And a lot of clubs just draft guys to have numbers in preseason and then they give them to the USL team. So um, I was lucky enough to get healthy in time to show um, for a couple of weeks at the end of preseason pretty well and got offered a contract, was immediately loaned to Toronto FC's affiliate Wilmington Hammerheads in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was called back into Toronto, I think about two months later, um, which was great. I met them and played in a Canadian championship game in Vancouver, and it was kind of Um, understood that I was playing for my next meal. And if I didn't play well, I'd be sent back. And as long as they could use me and I was helping them that I would stick around. And I was lucky enough to, you know, at the end of that rookie year, have 18 appearances. I stayed in Toronto the whole year um, and just kind of moved on from there. Uh, A lot of tactical switching and coaching changes came in my second year. Uh, We moved to a diamond midfield, which as a natural winger all through college in my life kind of left me out to dry. And experimenting on a lot of different positions, but never getting any playing time, paired with a lot of, or I wouldn't say a lot, but a couple of significant injuries. Um, my playing time was a lot more sporadic, and I always felt like I wasn't, you know, getting a fair shot or enough time to try to perfect one position to compete with somebody for a starting spot. But we had a mutual parting of ways, and I was under the impression that a lot of other teams were interested in me. Um, and that didn't necessarily materialize in that offseason. I was sitting by the phone. We had just went to MLS Cup. Um, we had lost to Seattle for the first time at home. 
Um, and I was waiting for the phone to ring and finally it did showed up in Montreal and for preseason and, you know, thought that I would, you know, definitely get the job as the backup, which I did. The starter ends up blowing his knee out on international duty with Cameroon, uh, first week of June. And, uh, the rest is history. I kind of went from there, finished the year out, played 2018, um, had my best year, played almost every game that I was healthy for. And then the phone rang in December, Greg Berhalter, um, and then everything changes. And, you know, it's it's just the craziest year, 2019, going back and forth from Montreal to the national team camps, competing in the Gold Cup, Nations League, um, friendlies, all that stuff. Pretty crazy. Definitely unhappy with my situation in Montreal, looking for greener pastures and was happy to know that uh, a team like Nashville and a market like Nashville was interested in me. And really excited to be one of the the early additions to the team um you know before i knew it i'm I'm entering my seventh year so now i'm considered a veteran even though that's crazy to think about that's awesome yeah that's that's quite the journey it sounds like you're in a, a great place right now especially for the guitar piece you know nashville the music scene gotta be pretty excited there yeah i gotta be honest i've, I've dropped the ball with the guitar within the last two weeks. <laughs> It's terrible. I don't use my hands for anything now. So I got calluses from this guitar. It's it got band-aids on my fingers every other day. It's it's a pain in the ass, but um, it's been fun. I mean, I am in Music City, and it's it's nice to be able to whip it out and at least know how to to move around on it. But I think I'm I'm still a, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years away from that. But I'll, I'll keep grinding eventually once these calluses heal. Fair enough. You'll be in the off season. You'll be doing some open mics, some, uh, you know, some, <laughs> never, some local never, shows. Never in a million years, but <laughs> and just choose not to. Once, once COVID, uh, you know, kind of lightens up, hopefully in the future, you can hit up a party or two and play Wonderwall. I think that's a good like beginner's strategy too. I'd be lying if I told you I didn't look up the chords already. And it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a staple in the the bullshit guitar guy. You got to have that one. Yeah, absolutely. That's a it's a staple. It's a staple. Yeah, I feel like I feel like your story and your ability to to you know I don't know accept the the role that is being an, uh, a new member of the Nashville scene. You're you're adapting. You're you're learning to play guitar. You also adapted into a completely different position, and since then you've seen tremendous success. So I'm feeling I'm feeling fortunate. We may be talking to a burgeoning country music star, but also clearly. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're showing that adaptability breeds success, period. How are you going to help yourself, but also this team transition into a new reality? Great question. I think for me, the, the easy answer is it's, there's two different dimensions that you try to impact a team and be a good teammate. You want to be a good leader. You want to be a good person, be a good teammate more than anything. I think that's number one, but also, you have to find a way to improve yourself as a player and add value on the field. And I think that um, my personal philosophy is you should never stop growing or think that you're a finished product at any time. I think that's BS. Um, I think that you should be trying to improve your game and trying to perfect your craft until you can't execute it physically anymore and it's time to hang up the boots. But um, I've been very lucky. I was talking about this, I think with my dad the other day about how lucky I was in Toronto, my rookie year to be exposed to such high quality leadership, um, in this guy, Stephen Caldwell, who played in the premier league, Scottish guy represented his country, everything. He was the captain of every team he played on from when he was 16 and he was around the premier league. So this guy was incredible and I learned a lot from him. 
I've also had captains that I didn't enjoy. Uh, even going back to the college days, I had great ones. I had ones that I didn't necessarily um, vibe with, so to speak. And I've just always kind of picked and choose different leadership styles and little little dynamics that I liked and try to avoid the bad ones and hopefully apply those more effectively each day, each month, each year, each season um, to the locker room that I'm at. And it, it's nice with Nashville to know that that is expected of me finally. Um, it definitely wasn't in Montreal and it definitely wasn't in Toronto. And fair enough, I always felt like you had to be a guy on the field um, to really have the the power and the swing to influence guys. And you could always talk to people, but it's really the guys that are on the field doing the battle that are that are the ones that really have the sway in the locker room and have guys respect. So to have that piece here is great from a from a playing standpoint. Um, you know, transitioning to a new position is as much exciting as it is frustrating. I think being an attacking player in the past to now be so hyper focused on defensive techniques, defensive strategy, defensive um, just mindfulness all the time has definitely detracted from some of the things that I, you know, was my bread and butter as a winger growing up and playing my early years in my career. So being able to, you know, get proficient enough and comfortable enough with some of the defensive aspects to now re inject those offensive dynamics into my game, I think is a huge part of what I can offer to the position, how I can help us score goals as well as keep the ball out of our net. And I'm incredibly excited to work on it. And this is number one, an incredible environment to be working on such a, such a development. I think it's, you know, very conducive to people getting better. So far I get along great with the coaching staff and the facilities, everything is all you could ask for. And I'm very lucky. Yeah, that's great. I as a as a Minnesotan, I have to say, and I, I do watch the NHL. Not sure. Are you a big NHL fan, Dan? I am. I but if I gotta be honest, I always called myself a hockey guy because I was such a Flyers fan growing up. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, with you know, Lindros and John LeClaire, Mark Recchi, Eric Desjardins, all them. That was, you know, I was very spoiled. So I always thought that I knew hockey and I I was into hockey because I always loved watching it. And then when you live in Canada for six years, you realize oh, that true, true. You realize that you don't know anything. <laughs> that is fair. I even <laughs> as as a Minnesotan who's close to Canada, I yeah. I cannot call myself a, a maybe a true hockey fan. Oh, I don't have all the knowledge. Different but. level. I mean, Toronto was yeah. a little bit easier of an adjustment, but they were just so bitter at the time because the team sucked, and that's like that's like the top it's bigger than nfl um comparatively and i know people yeah. don't believe that but it really is um it's yeah. just crazy and then in montreal i went to a few canadians games and it's like going to church and you know, <laughs> like all the fans are so quiet they're all like doing wow. stats they're all like having their apps open they're following stuff on their phone live on their ipads they're taking their own documentation of the game i was blown away it was so boring and the wow. team five goals this one game, and it was super exciting. It was a lot of fun, but it was honestly like being in church, and I was so blown away by how knowledgeable <laughs> people were. And it's like a religion; it really is. And it was it was very humbling, but I was you know exposed in those moments of wow. you know thinking I was a hockey guy, but not really. Nice. Yeah, I I um and I started by mentioning the NHL. Um, not not to sidetrack us too much away from soccer, but uh, the Nashville Predators. 
in the NHL are a very fun team. They're fairly new and they have a great crowd. So I'm excited for you to experience and hopefully that carries over to this Nashville soccer team. The, yeah. the fans just seem awesome, at least for the Predators. So I, I can only imagine that they're great. They throw, they throw fish on the ice when they score. Yeah. They do. yeah. <laughs> and we had a really cool thing we did um, with them leading up to the home opener. We went um, – I went early to their game. I forget who they played against. I think it might have been the Sabres. Um, but I went early, and I, I played two-touch and juggled and kicked around with the guys um, as part of their warm-up before. and they're all the nicest guys like hockey guys. I got a lot of time for that. They seem like the most normal athletes I could expect. And I was just thinking the whole time, like, geez, if these guys came and like came into our environment and <laughs> I bet you they would walk away thinking we were such weirdos. <laughs> like, guys were so cool and so nice talking about where I was going to live and where they live and, you know, restaurants, all this stuff. They were so accommodating, such nice guys. And yeah, it's one of the things they talked about, you know, Nashville, like low key being the biggest destination in the NHL market is very, very, very open to soccer. And we are very lucky that we don't have to compete against the typical big four sports um, like a yep. lot of others do. So any place, especially for soccer, that you can find that situation is somewhere I want to be. All of this Nashville talk, I'm, I'm, I'm loving like understanding how one exists there and lives there, but um, and, and pardon the, the cliche of this, this, um, transition, but you know, Nashville is in the United States and that's, and that's another team you represent, Dan, that's another team you represent. I would love to know how one transitions between those two and how do you approach playing on, you know, a team like Nashville, you're in the locker room, you're getting ready for that. How do you approach joining, like getting ready for that game versus getting ready for one with the, the men's national team? It's a good question. I think the the truth is that um, there's nothing that can really compare to playing for your country. And this was something that I never thought was ever, 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 ever going to be possible for me, especially at left back. And to have it basically, um, you know, presented to me as an opportunity and knowing that they were, you know, traditionally a little bit thin in this position was just a really really interesting opportunity and one that I, I tried to grab with both hands and not so much be shocked and in awe of having the crest on my shirt and training all the time. But um, I definitely, it definitely changed my sort of understanding of what playing for my club needs to be. And when I was in Montreal last year, I will be the first to tell you, and I don't think anyone would disagree that knows about me or knows about the situation. It was just not good. Um, wasn't really um, playing for Montreal as much as I was playing for the national team. And one thing that I noticed was that the level that you have to be at both mentally um, and technically on the field and just not to, not to sound too, uh, too weird or anything, but spiritually, I think, you know, it's, it's tough to flip a switch. And I think the most important thing that I've, you know, been looking for and knew that I would need to look for when getting out of Montreal, if I wanted to stay playing at the level that would, you know, keep me involved in the national team was that I needed to be somewhere where I was fully bought in and to have an environment that allows me to always be on that level at all times. 
to be able to come here now to have the relationship with the coaches that I have, to have so many amazing guys in the locker room. And it makes it a lot easier to have a much higher baseline for when I do want to hopefully have the opportunity again to click into playing for the national team and, you know, be so relieved and appreciative of the last year and what it was. But, you know, also a lot of guys get to have that first calendar year with the national team and getting called into camps when they're teenagers or they're in their early 20s. And here I am, 27, 28 years old. And, you know, my throat's in my mouth most times when I'm playing for the U.S. And it's, it's nice to have that year behind me. Like I said, I'm very appreciative of it, but I'm even more excited about not having that initial gut emotional reaction to it and just being able to execute my job at a higher level more consistently and to really solidify my spot within the team. And I, I think Nashville couldn't be a better platform for that. That's something that I've never heard talked about, but seems like such an integral part of guys playing on the national team is that it it does require kind of that deeper level, that spiritual piece, the mental toughness, whatever whatever you want to call it or whatever it means to you personally as a player. Is that something that's talked about among the guys, among you know guys that are moving from their club to the national team, just that extra level of toughness and kind of buy-in that it actually takes to then switch on at the the tournaments we see or the playing games or the qualification games. Is that something that's talked about? Yeah, especially, especially now, but that's, that's more credit to the staff. If I'm being honest, that's, that's Greg Burhalter through and through. Um, I mean, the culture of the team that is at the core of it, that is um, a domineering sort of dynamic and force and ethos that is preached to us day in and day out is that, there's never a day where you're going through the motions. There's never a drill or an exercise that is done without purpose. And frankly, a lot of the guys that have traditionally been involved with the national team that have had experiences under Burhalter that no longer are in the mix, it's for those reasons. Everybody has a different style. Um, that's just the way it is. I mean, I've played with guys that would go out every night um, and show up and play harder than anyone else. And I got a lot of respect. I got a lot of time for those guys because, uh, you know, the old saying, you, if you're going to be a man in the night, you got to be a man in the morning as well. I'm a firm believer in that. And, you know, a lot of guys can find different balances in their life for what really gets them up and ready to go. Um, for some people, that's more emotional. That's more spiritual. Like you said, um, for me, it certainly was being involved in the national team, but um, I think there's a lot to be said for people that are comfortable and, you know, for the Christian Pulisics and the, the Weston McKinney's and the Tyler Adams and the Michael Bradley's, those guys that have been playing at the highest level for their entire lives, um, they aren't as emotionally um, very, they're not varying as much, if that makes sense, from every game, from every call up. They're not literally dying by it. They operate at such a high level consistently, much higher than the average player that when they are in these situations, that's why they always look the calmest and they usually perform the best. I think that's a direct correlation. So it's nice to, like I said, get through that first year and know that everybody in the, in the organization and the culture and the federation is, is trying to move in a way and to get things done now where we change the way that the world views American soccer. And that that's been the main goal ever since the Trinidad game, quite frankly, um, because that was, the worst case scenario by all accounts and to rebuild an identity and to compete at the highest level. Um, they've set out a very firm and understood and well um, taken on and onboarded part of 
who we are now in a culture that's going to get us to where we ultimately want to be. And that's winning a world cup and competing at the highest level consistently and dominating our region and all the above. So it's definitely an emotional thing. It's not something anyone sidesteps. It's something that's embraced and incorporated into everything that we do and everything that I do. Love it. Yeah. Building the identity. That's what is at the core of so many of the conversations we've had with everyone, honestly, that we've, we've talked to on the pod. One last quick Nashville question before we hit you with Philly trivia, which is what everyone's been waiting for, basically. Um, Really quick, what's one misconception you'd say that people have about expansion teams that you can speak to from your time at Nashville so so far? Yeah, you know, um, I think just the fact that there's this sort of uh, taboo or um, there's just this understanding that I think is totally mis- misleading and it's frankly unfounded that an expansion team has to struggle in its first year. Like why? Because mm-hmm. they're new. At the end of the day, there's 11 guys on one side of the field. There's 11 on the other. And no matter how new a group of players is to each other, everyone has been playing the sport for a very long time or else they wouldn't be a professional. And if you have the right combination of personalities, you have the right type of coach that knows how to manage the team and get the most out of the team, and you have good leadership at the player level, and obviously enough quality in the group, there's no reason that you can, can't consistently be competitive and to have a winning record in MLS. That's a trap that a lot of clubs and a lot of teams fall into when they first get started because they look back and they see the struggles that Orlando had, that Minnesota had maybe. Um, but you know, everyone wants to say, oh, well, if you look at New York or LAFC, the, the big contributing factor to their success was money. And I think that's BS. And I think that money certainly will buy you great players. And I'm not saying that Carlos Vela isn't the biggest part of LAFC, but I think if you look at a guy like Bob Bradley, that's just as important, if not more important to have a group of players that buys in and gets after it every single week with a clear identity, a clear model for how they play. And if you cross off those things, I think MLS is so far from being a league like La Liga or the Bundesliga or even the Premier League where, or the French League where you have the top four or five teams that you can expect are going to win 90% of their games. That's not what MLS is. So I think it's so ridiculous when teams start off fresh and are feeling sorry for themselves already. Like, oh, you know, we might be competitive in year two or three, but year one's going to be tough. I have no time for that. I don't understand why that's the case. MLS, the disparity is so, so, so minimal. And the things that separate the good teams from the bad teams are very intangible, but very basic things from a management and a club perspective that you can cross off as long as you have the right people that we could really 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 you know if the if the season would have been normal I think that we would have been a playoff team I saw the look and talked to some of the guys on Atlanta after our opener that we lost they were you know very happy it seemed like we were in different conferences um and the Portland game we we completely dominated them and they scored one good goal on a half chance and you know we just had to click and to you know find a way to put the ball in the back of the net but I think that we're in a really good spot. And, you know, to your point about expansion teams being um, a little bit timid or a little bit 
you know, maybe negative in, in their expectations. I think that's totally unfounded. And I'm glad that I'm here where we have a high standard from the beginning and everyone's just focused on playing every game and there's no expectation of us struggling in any sense of the word. Love that, man. Love that energy. Very excited to watch you guys uh, play pretty soon and, and rooting for you against everyone except for the Chicago Fire, probably, at least for Jones, myself. I'm not as much of a fan, so I'll be more, more split down the middle. Gotcha. Let's uh, let's let's test. Let's take some of this uh, this passion. Let's 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 pour it into our, our love of Philadelphia proper. Yeah. Um, we've got a we've got a game we like to play on the pod, Dan, called Over Under, and uh, it essentially works where I I give the interviewee a subject or a thing, and then you have fifteen seconds to quickly argue why that subject or thing is overrated, underrated. Or just rated, yeah. Uh, Dan is hitting up a Wawa. Overrated, underrated, or rated? Oh man, it's overrated. However, if you're from Philadelphia, it's underrated because once you're gone from it, you you just miss it so much. And it's not Sheets. It's not any of these other BS places that have popped up. There's nothing like getting a shake and a hoagie and getting the the Arnold Palmer from the cool. Love that answer. Uh, how about uh, the Flyers' very own gritty? Underrated. I think he's the first of his kind to make people uncomfortable. I think that's a perfect <laughs> analogy for a, a Philly sports fan. And um, I think the fanatic always towed the line, but I think Gritty stepped over it, and that's important that we were the first to do it. <laughs> he's definitely known for all the the popcorn videos for non Philly sports fans. You just yeah. see the the videos of him destroying fans, basically. Yeah. And he destroys my my dreams. He, he's a nightmare just to think of image wise. Um, uh, is Bradley Cooper over underrated rated? Underrated. This guy went to Germantown Academy where I went to high school, so I got to give him overrated or underrated. He's a uh, he's a stand up guy, from what I understand. He was super normal, and he's incredibly talented. And I like that his career path is very genuine, and he's done some really good stuff. And I'm a fan of almost everything he does. So underrated. Great answer. No favoritism whatsoever. Um, next one. This may be specific. So you, you, you let me know if this is this is registering for you. The movie Tavern in Flower Town. Don't know it. All right. Underrated. Oh, 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 oh. Overrated. Oh, the movie Tavern. I thought you were saying the title of a movie. No. Uh, the movie no, Tavern. The actual, we did our deep, we did our deep research here. Is overrated. They need to place <laughs> down. it is terrible i i went there the first time and it was a delight and i went there this past off season and it was in shambles they didn't have anything they didn't have milkshakes they couldn't even bring out chicken tenders or whatever i wanted to order i had to settle for a water and some wrap it was terrible that's garbage take it take it down i'm glad we asked there there goes our sponsorship with movie tavern (laughs) um uh, next one. You may you may remember this guy. He currently plays for the Bears right now. His name's Nick Foles. What's your rating on there? Nick Foles is underrated. You can't ever say a bad thing about him. He should never pay for a beer in Philadelphia ever again. And I, I'm looking at an Eagles uh, scrapbook made for the Super Bowl, and I, I've just read it so many times. That I have only good things to say about the guy. I love him to death. Excellent. I feel the love. I hope he can perform for for the Bears. Wait, who's the who's the Chicago guy? Max Jones. Max Jones. All right. 
Well, speaking of Nashville, what do you think about uh, your boy Cutler divorcing uh, Kristen Cavallari? Because they're in they're in Nashville. You know, uh, my take on Cutler is a, is a really jaded one. You know, I I needed a leader here in Chicago to to lead the Bears, and and he wasn't that. So <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not surprised that that other things aren't going. You know, unfortunately, I hope I hope he personally is okay. I hope him and I hope Cavallari. I hope the, I hope the kids are fine. But this I, is an know. amazing answer. <laughs> <laughs> The PR, this color, is- co- color's overrated. I don't know if, if that's a fair. I, I'm just hopping in there. There you go. But all right, back to Philly though. Yeah. Tell me, tell me whether or not water ice is over underrated. It's underrated because so few people know what it is. Like people go to Rita's from out of town and it blows their mind. They don't know that you can get the misto, you can get the gelato mix with the custard on the bottom, water ice in the middle, and the custard on the top. That blows people's minds. Have to re when I when we go when I go back I'm gonna have to re-listen for the order honestly because yeah. it went quick I, I I missed some of it but I feel like you just told us what we have to order basically you'll know it custard water ice custard can't go wrong uh, Embiid and Simmons Simmons overrated Embiid underrated um, I don't I'm not a Simmons guy I'm just not um, I've seen him in the playoffs enough I know that we're gonna need somebody that can be more of a threat. Um, shooting the ball and scoring, and I don't. I just don't like his vibe so much. I appreciate that he's incredibly skilled. Embiid, I think, wants to get better, and he's going to be a killer. And it looks like he cares a lot more than Simmons. So I, I give him the benefit of the doubt to improve and actually be a force in the important games. I think my biggest takeaway from this was uh, everything on this list is pretty much underrated, and and there there are a few exceptions, but you know. It's impossible for me to comprehend if I'm not from Philly. Otherwise, I have yeah. no voice. I shouldn't say anything. Yeah, that's fair. Dan, <laughs> Dan, Dan, <laughs> right. Dan for mayor of Philly. That's what you're exactly. yeah. going for. Dan 2020. Yeah, we're, we're on that campaign. We're on that bus. <laughs> and thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Uh, your answers were great and very candid. Um, and we're going to wish you all the best of luck in the tournament. We know Nashville is reckoned with. Um, just be kind to Chicago. That's the fire need the help where we can get it. Appreciate that. Appreciate your time. No promises. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Big thanks to Dan Lovitz for joining us on the pod, talking about all those different topics. I'm going to be putting out stuff on the Instagram as well. So follow the Instagram if you haven't already and keep up with all the awesome interviews and chats we're having with people from around the soccer world. Speaking of which, we got an exciting one coming up next week. We'll leave that kind of mysterious for now because that's the footy fella's way, is it not, gents? We we don't show them anything. We uh, they got to show up and, and hear it when it comes out. If you made it this far, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Au revoir. See you next week. in here together which very happy about that decision by the way that was a really fun moment in the middle of that i hope you guys take a moment to acknowledge that (laughs) (laughs) and if we didn't you did for us which is beautiful dan we've been holding hands this entire time